Okay. Welcome back. Yay. We have a quiz that is due today. So the iTunes quiz, which about five of you have taken so far, it looked like. I'm just looking at it. So make sure you get in and do that. That's available through 6 o'clock tomorrow. So you do have three attempts again. And it's available through 6 o'clock tomorrow. So you've got a chance to take those. If you've taken only one or two, you're welcome to take it again. Again, it takes your highest score, so you won't hurt yourself by trying again. You know, if you get an 11 the first time and you don't want to worry about it, you know, you can still try for a 12. But worst you can do is missing. Worst you can do is missing is get a two, and it doesn't count anyway. So you may as well take all three tries because unless you get a 12, once you get a 12, you're not going to improve on it. So if you get a perfect score, don't worry about it. So. Observing night is scheduled for tomorrow. Um, if the weather holds up, as of right now. Chance of showers tomorrow during the day, 30% chance, and then mostly cloudy in the evening. Of course, who says that won't change by tomorrow? So we'll, we'll see, keep an eye on it. If it looks like it's going to clear up, we'll certainly be here and have some stuff set up. Even if the clouds are not horrible, you can usually at least still glimpse the moon through them and get a telescope set up on that. Although a decent amount of clouds makes it very hard to spot anything else through a telescope. Homework five, which I gave out last time, is due on. We gave out last time. Yeah, last week is due on Friday. And we also have a quiz this week. I'm having another quiz to kind of catch you up because it all comes into the exam. So I want you to have a chance to look at those questions if you want before the exam. And that'll be started on Friday and go through. And go through the next. Do it through next Monday, which is the day of the exam. So. I have exam three now scheduled for uh, Monday the 29th. Assuming we get all the way through chapter 12 this week, it could get pushed off to the 31st, but I'm, I'm more than likely that we're going to get through. We're doing pretty good in this class. I'm sure we're going to be well into chapter 13 by then. So I'm going to schedule the exam for the 29th. That way it's on a Monday. It doesn't affect lab or anything. And you got all weekend to study for it. Yay. I know. Sunday night, Monday morning, 8 o'clock, that's when you're studying for it anyway. But at least I gave you the chance. Whether you take advantage of it or not is up to you. So that is scheduled for the 29th. And that's what's coming up. Questions? No? Alrighty. Picture of the day for today then. Space shuttle, space shuttle endeavor. And it's actually not a picture, it's actually a video to watch here. It's about Two, a little over two and a half minute video. I'm going to get that started here. And it's actually the video through the, of the shuttle Endeavor traveling through the streets of Los Angeles. So it's landed at the Los Angeles International Airport on the back of a 747. Has to be dismounted from that and then put on another vehicle. It doesn't travel under its own power on the Earth. It has no way to do that. So you can see it's actually not traveling on its own landing gear. It actually has you know, mounts underneath it to move it. There's no way that it has to travel under its own. It doesn't have that kind of capability to travel under its own power, whether wheeling or flying in the Earth's atmosphere. It can glide down from orbit. But what it was done is it moved in order to get it from the airport to the Science Center where it's going to be on display. They had to move it through the streets of Los Angeles. And that's what a lot of this is, sort of a time-lapse video showing it going through the streets of Los Angeles. As you see it here, not moved very quickly, of course. It was moved very slowly through there. Had to watch out for everything. You had traffic, of course. You're in Los Angeles. You got a little bit of traffic there. And had to avoid things like buildings and all of that as it was being moved through the streets. So you got all the people with it there. 
You can see it out the windows here. Here's traffic, regular traffic. And as you see it turn, you've got all the regular traffic behind it following. Oops, there you go. So how'd you like to get stuck behind that in a traffic jam, right? You know? <laughs> Better than being in front and seeing it in your rearview mirror, maybe, you know. Seeing the space shuttle following you in your rearview mirror might be a little creepy. There we had it going around a house, very narrow area where it had to kind of work around. They did cut down a lot of trees to make it fit, make sure it would fit through. But some of them they could weave around like that. And it is on display. This is where it's heading towards the California Science Center in Los Angeles. And that's where it's going to be on display permanently. I mean, it's not going back up in space again. The shuttle fleet has been completely retired. So as of right now, um, we have to depend on other countries if we want to get someone to or from the space station. We can launch materials. We do have the capability to launch satellites and materials, but we don't have anything else left right now until something new is developed that can launch humans into space. Now, of course, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's nice to be able to get, be, uh, get people in space on our own, but if you think about this, the shuttles have been going since the 1980s. They first launched in 1981, meaning they were designed in the 70s. And yes, there's been some updates, but think of how technology has changed from the mid-late mid 1970s until today. There's been quite a few changes, so we can certainly could do something better if we wanted to put our minds to it. I mean, it is older technology. You know, Go ahead and pull out an old you know, Apple computer from the late 1970s, a little bit different than the current MacBooks, right? Or you know, any computer, big, big difference in what things have changed. Obviously, we could update. These are nice because you could update the computers, could be updated on these kind of things. You could upgrade them. It doesn't work that way for some of the spacecraft sent out. You know, the Voyager spacecraft that went out to all the planets and that we still can detect was sent you know, with mid-70s technology. And that's what it has. You know. We landed on the moon with 60s technology. Wow. You know, little computers that the computer power that went there, well, you know, your cell phones got a million times the power their computer Apollo computers had to get them there. So things have changed quite changed quite a bit in the, in that time. So interesting little video. Not so much astronomy to it, but kind of nice seeing the seeing the shuttle work, work its way through the streets of Los Angeles there. Question? Question? No questions. All right. Then we'll go from the shuttle to the stars. And we were on chapter 12, which is the last of the chapters that will be on the exam. So if we can get through chapter 12, which I'm expecting we'll finish eh, either the end of the day, Wednesday, or sometime Friday, we'll, we'll, we, should be through, we should be through all of this. Then anything else we cover will be held over for the, for the following exam. Now where we ended up last time was we were looking at the composition. So what I told you is that while the star is on the main sequence, it is changing, but we can't see any of those changes. When it forms, hydrogen and helium are pretty much uniform throughout. It's got just as much hydrogen in its core as it does, as it does on the outer layers. Five billion years later, where the sun is right now, it's converted about half that hydrogen in its core into helium. So it's still got a lot of hydrogen there. Good amount. Good amount has been converted to helium it's got a lot more energy left to generate. The outer layers haven't changed. If I could go back in time five billion years and take a spectrum of the surface of the sun and take one right now, there wouldn't be any differences. You're not going to see an increase in the concentration of helium because it's all trapped down in the core. If we could travel forward five billion years more and look at the sun near the end of its life. Okay, now there's the core. There's still a little bit of hydrogen there, but boy, it's swamped by the helium now. 
There's not a lot of hydrogen left, so there's not going to be a lot of area, a lot of energy that can be produced in the core anymore. That's what's happening. The outer layers are still the same. When we look at the surface of the sun, surface of the sun 10 billion, 5 billion years from now, it'll look exactly the same as the surface of the sun does now. There won't be any change in the composition. Still going to be 90% hydrogen and 10% helium. So, was that way when it was born, will be that way when it leaves the main sequence. The interior is what is changing. That's where everything interesting is going on. So what happens, here's sort of a scale model. That's the core way deep down in there. And as you get to the end, we were building up that core of helium. So you have the ash of helium, the remnants left over from the hydrogen burning. And you have that left over there. That's not producing any energy. So that core will start to contract. It'll start to push itself together. It's already very dense. It's going to get denser and denser. It's pushing the material closer and closer together. Around it, you still have some energy being produced. We can't turn off all the energy in the sun. The energy won't all disappear at once. There still has to be some kind of energy occurring. And what happens is, as the temperatures, as this core contracts, the temperatures increase, and it gets hot enough in areas around the core that you can get hydrogen burning in a shell. So you have a big core at the center of just pretty much all helium that can't do anything right now. And you've got a shell around that of hydrogen burning. That's producing the energy. As that produces the energy, the core collapse. The core is collapsing. So the hydrogen that's burning is actually adding more ash to this, right? As it burns, that helium sort of settle, will settle to the center and build up that core. It also causes the outer layers to expand. So this is where the star starts to grow. As the energy is being used up in the core, yes, the core will contract and collapse, but because of this burning in the shell around it, the outer layers are actually start to expand. So core contracts, outer layers get bigger and bigger. And that's when the star will become a red giant. Now here's the summary. We did this with chapter 11. This, here's the rest of the stages. Chapter uh, number 7. We skimmed through number 7 because nothing much happened in number 7. That was the main sequence star stage. Again, that was 10 billion years. The rest of these stages are all very short in comparison. So remember we did the times. When we looked at the times of formation, there was nothing very long. Well, there still really isn't. Stage 8, which is the subgiant, as it's working its way up, as it goes through this process of kind of cleaning out the core of all the hydrogen, takes about 100 million years. 100 million years, 10 billion years. You know, one one hundredth of it. Not a long time, one year in a hundred year lifespan. It's not nothing, but it's not a long time. Everything else is incredibly short. Here is one about, that would be 100,000 years. 50 million years, 10,000, 100,000, very short time frame. Everything else goes by like that. So once, it, once the star gets to the red giant stage, once it becomes a red giant, about 100 times the size of the sun, it all goes very quickly. Again, not a flash to us. We're, only, we're still only going to see a segment of some of those you know, things that take 10,000 years. but very quickly in terms of the lifespan of the star. The total lifespan was 10 billion years. So this all goes by very, very quickly in comparison. Now, you see like we did the last time, 
There's a little bit more variation. Last time we pretty much saw temperatures went up, right? Started from very cold, went to very hot at the core, at the surface. Densities went from very low to very high. Size went from gigantic to very relatively small. Now it varies a little bit. So what you're going to see, temperatures do increase. We're at 15 million degrees now. It's going to go up to 50 million degrees and 100 million and 200 million and 300 million. You know, gets beyond, you know, 15 million is bad enough to try to picture. Okay, 6,000 is bad enough to try to picture, right? You know, a couple hundred, you at least have a, you know, a couple hundred Fahrenheit, at least you have some, you know, notion with your oven to say how hot that is. But trying to figure out, you know, million, thousands or millions of degrees is really something beyond what we can, we can imagine. But those pretty much increase, but look at the outer layers. They start at 6,000, they drop down a little bit, they're actually going to get cooler, and then they heat up again at the end when we get down to see that core. So when we get down to the very core of the star, when, the, when it loses its outer layers, we actually, those temperatures jump up again. Densities increase for the most part until you get to the very end here when you have a planetary nebula. Talk about that in a few minutes. Sizes, again, the star gets bigger. Bigger, you know, here, 100 times bigger than it was, 500 times bigger. And then it shrinks down again too though. So it, the sun will actually grow. They get 100 times bigger than it is right now. It'll go back and shrink and be only 10 times bigger than it is right now. Then it'll go back and be 500 times bigger. So it's actually going to be changing in size. Now there are stars that do this on a regular basis. Not to that extreme extent, but there are stars that really pulsate and do really get bigger and smaller on a time frame that we can measure. So it's not unheard of with other stars, but that's what's, what typically will happen. It will have to get so big at this first stage, then it actually collapses back down. So the outer layers will kind of come in and out. Sometimes when they pulsate, eventually is when we start to lose that material. When you get big enough, you'll actually start to lose that material as a planetary nebula. Now, we end up, again, the final result for a star like the Sun will be a white dwarf. So a white dwarf star. Eventually, it'll be a black dwarf star. All that means is it's cooled off. So you take that thing that was 50,000 degrees on the surface and maybe 100 million degrees inside. It's going to take a long time for that to cool off. Longer than the age of the universe. So there is no, there is no black dwarf in existence. It hasn't had time for anything to cool off yet. But it will. Eventually, what's going to happen to that white dwarf? It's sitting there. It's going to slowly cool off. So eventually that is what would form. That eventually would be a large part of the, um, of the universe. Would be a lot of black dwarfs. But you're talking a trillion years from now. Once they've had time for all of this to cool off. Many, many times the age of our universe right now. So as we go to stage 9, the red giant branch. We've been talking about sort of it's been going through the subgiant branch in the previous slide. Two slides ago. But it's sort of a little paradox here. You think of it, the core is shrinking, gravity is pulling it down, but as it does, those outer layers start producing enough energy and have enough energy to push the outer layers out. So inside contracts, outer layers expand and cool off. As you expand things, they cool off. That's when you become a red giant. So it's cooler, lower temperature. So shifts from in the sun being in the yellowish white part of the spectrum into being peaking in the red. It's going to be a much cooler star than it was. 
and will extend out about as far as Mercury. So Mercury is one planet down. One planet down and done and gone. So it'll be out to the orbit of Mercury. If it reaches the orbit of Mercury, Mercury is going to slowly be consumed by the Sun. So Mercury will be gone. Can't orbit within the Sun, even though it's not very dense, it's going to decay its orbit and it'll just be swallowed up by the Sun. Mercury is not the only planet that goes. So when it gets bigger later, guess what? Venus, Earth, maybe even Mars. All gone. Won't get big enough to swallow Jupiter and Saturn like those real giant temperatures. Real giant stars. So it's become a red giant. Now it's cooled off. If you remember, we talked about the, how bright something is dependent on its temperature. So its temperature has gone down. It should get fainter, but it's gotten so much bigger. It's gotten hundreds of times bigger. Its surface area is tremendously larger than it is right now. So even though each square meter of that surface is putting out a lot less energy than it was before, you've got many, many more square meters than you used to have. So its luminosity is going to increase tremendously. So you're going to have a much higher luminosity. It's going to be a much brighter star. And it's going to move on the HR diagram up here, starting at number 7. That's the main sequence. That's where the sun is right now. As it gets towards the end of its life in 5 billion years, it'll work through. It'll slowly cool off as it's using up that energy, as its core starts to grow, being <coughs> composed of helium. And it works its way up the red giant branch. It gets bigger, 10 times the size of the sun, up to about 100 times the size of the sun. So you see it's kind of zipping up there, zipping up real to those really, really large stars. It makes some jumps here. We're going to see some interesting jumps. The sun will do a lot of interesting things in that very short period of time. Because you recall we've gone through that 100 million year. Thank you. We've gone through that 100 million year stage. So everything else is very short. So it's all going to do this relatively quickly. We're talking you know, a few million years. Not a lot of time for this to, for this to all occur. So we're going up through the red giant branch. The next stage We've gotten the temperature. While that core contracts, it gets hotter and hotter. So it started at 15 million degrees, 20 million degrees, 30 million degrees, 40 million degrees, getting hotter and hotter. Eventually, like when the core first hit 10 million degrees and you had enough energy to fuse hydrogen into helium, 10 million degrees isn't enough energy to overcome helium atoms colliding together. It's not enough to overcome them and get them to fuse together. So you can't get helium atoms to fuse at 10 million degrees, or at 20, or at 50, or at 70, or at 80 million degrees. But once you hit 100 million degrees, the helium in the core, in the core starts to fuse. Now why so much a higher temperature? Well, one of the reasons is that you can't fuse two helium nuclei together and form anything stable. So if you smash two helium atoms together, they, they form an unstable element. Helium, what will it be? Beryllium. And the isotope of beryllium it forms will immediately break apart. So it can't form anything stable. In order to get something stable, you not only have to do two helium atoms at one time, you've got to do three. So you have to get it hot enough that you can not only combine these two combining, but a third one coming in and all of them hit combining at once to actually form carbon. So three helium nuclei will make one carbon nucleus. So that's why you need such a, higher, such a much higher temperature, a million degrees, in order to smash the helium into carbon. Now, when the fusion begins, it goes extremely rapidly. It's what we call a helium flash. It's, 
it's a runaway explosion in the center of the star. And you can think of the, heli- the nuclear reactions going on as an explosion, but when the helium begins to fuse in a star like the Sun, the Sun's core is, does not behave the way we'd normally think of it. We call it, we call it a degenerate core. So what it means is that it's so dense that normally when you heat something up, it expands. Right? You heat things up and they expand and everything balances out. It reaches an equilibrium. When, an object, when a material is degenerate, it doesn't work that way. So the heating, the heating it up and starting to form these nuclear reactions doesn't cause it to expand. So you have all this dense material, you have all of this material, all of this fusion going on all at once in the core. It takes it several hours to expand. So it's not that immediate. When, we, when we're in equilibrium for the sun right now, if it got a little bit hotter, it would expand a little bit and cool off and it would stay at a stability. When, an, when a material is degenerate, it doesn't respond to the increase in temperature by changing pressure. It will stay the same. Pressure will stay the same and same and same. It'll take a long time to slowly start to push that material out and actually balance the star again. Eventually it will reach an equilibrium. But when this occurs, it's a massive explosion, a lot of energy in, terms, in the center of the sun, not enough to tear it apart, it's not going to explode. We're safe with that with the sun, but a lot of energy is taken. All that energy goes into increasing the size of the core, causing that, pushing that core back out from the material to the way it had collapsed, so sort of undoing some of gravity's work. Gravity collapsed it down, did all that hard work on it, now, now this, another source of energy comes and pushes it back out, sort of expands that core out a little bit. Now if you remember, when the core collapsed, the outer layers expanded. When the core expands again, guess what the outer layers do? They collapse back down. <coughs> That's where I was showing you that the sun will, not only will it get bigger, it will be 100 times size, but it will actually get smaller again. It's the same process we saw in reverse. Core contracts in the early stages, outer layers expand. Later on we get another source of energy, we actually have a new source of energy here, producing energy in the core causing it to expand outwards and the outer layers are going to contract inwards. It's not going to get as small as it was. It's going to go back down to being a red giant star. It's going to be going to be a smaller red giant star. Be maybe 10 times the size of the sun instead of 100 times the size that it is right now. So what's happened here? Okay, again, same phases are on there. There's the there's the main sequence phase. Subgiant as it's as it's burning up that hydrogen. Here again, the energy source here is hydrogen in the core. Energy source here, there is nothing in the core. But around the core you have a shell of hydrogen that is burning, giving it energy. And you build up enough helium until you get that temperature at the core high enough and it jumps up to what we call the helium flash. That's when that helium all ignites. Taking it a little bit of time to actually expand that dense, dense core. And then it starts to contract. The star will actually get smaller. So it's going from here, it's going to get hotter, it's going to get smaller, and it's going to get less luminous, and it ends up in what we call the horizontal branch. Creatively named because on the HR diagram it's a horizontal line. So horizontal branch is that little horizontal section of the HR diagram, and that's where the star is happily now burning helium at its core. It didn't, the helium flash doesn't use up all of the helium. It burns a good chunk of it, but there's still a lot of helium to be able to burn. And it will actually stably burn helium for a good number of years. Not 10 billion like we had for the sun on the main sequence, but 
you know, millions of years, several million years, it'll be able to burn helium. It'll have much higher, um, much more, much another source of energy, I should say. Now what's going to happen though? We've got helium there, right? So we're happily burning helium. Well, we ran out of hydrogen. Guess what? We're going to run out of helium eventually too. There's not an infinite supply of fuel in the center of the sun. So now you've had this helium burning into carbon. So you've got carbon ash at the center. You have helium around that that is still burning into carbon, adding to this carbon ash. You have hydrogen around that that is still burning. Okay, Looks similar to what we had when we said it just left the main sequence, except we've added another shell. The core is going to become, as the helium, as it fuses to carbon, it becomes hotter and hotter. It burns faster and faster. And the temperatures here are increasing in the core, causing more helium to burn outside, more hydrogen around that. And it's doing the same thing. It's now jumping back up, back to the giant branch. So it'll settle for a while as a smaller giant, then it will start to grow again. So it'll start to grow in size. We again have the core contracting. There's no energy source. We don't have enough energy. Okay, it took 100 million degrees to fuse three heliums into a carbon atom. Can you imagine what it's going to take to fuse two carbon atoms together? Six protons each, and we've got to overcome 12 positive charges trying to merge towards each other. It requires a much higher temperature. So you're going to have carbon sitting there for quite a while. In fact, in a star like the sun, you're going to be stuck with carbon. You're not going to get anything else. So a star like the sun is going to end up right there. Carbon at the core, we have this material around it. So still some interesting things going on around it. But the core is pretty much done, except that it's adding to and getting bigger. As this helium is burning, it's you know, raining carbon on that carbon core and making it larger and larger. So. Same as we saw before, same condition as when it left the main sequence, but we have this second shell. It's building up layers. A more massive star, which we'll look at in a little bit, would actually form multiple layers. You'd actually get a, almost an onion down here. You'd have, you can have six, seven, eight different shells and materials burning. So you can have hydrogen burning and helium and carbon and oxygen and neon and what else is it? Silicon and I remember all the other ones in order, but until you get down to an iron core. We'll look at that in a little bit. That's where things really become, really become interesting, where things really start to happen. So now it's become a giant, branch, giant again. Up to the giant branch once where it had the helium flash. Goes down, shrinks a little bit, goes back down. Still a giant. It never goes back to the main sequence, you notice. It goes here, it does go back down, it does, cool, it does warm up a little bit and does become smaller, but it never gets back down to the main sequence. It won't reach the main sequence again. It's only on the main sequence once. But it's going back up, and in fact it's going back up to the larger. It's going up past where it was before. It's now got two shells there. It's got more energy. It's actually making it a much larger star. So instead of being just 100 times the size of the sun, we're going to get 500 times the size of the sun. Well, we're getting bigger, getting to the point where not, Mercury's already gone. Mercury was gone the first go-round, but Venus, Earth, maybe out as far as Mars, depending on the exact details. The outer planets are pretty much safe. The sun is not going to get big enough to actually be a star and consume those, and consume those planets. But the four inner planets are pretty much will be gone at some point as the sun gets this big. They will just be absorbed into the material of the sun. So completely burned up. 
You got five billion years plus to wait, so you're, you're still safe. But it is, that's what will happen eventually. So, you know, someday we'll become part of this, we'll all become part of the sun again. Five billion, five, five, six billion years from now. So here's the entire evolution of a star like the sun, sort of in one diagram. If you start off here, here's the star forming. Gas clouds, protostar phase, main sequence star. Okay, this all happens relatively quickly. You start to form a star over here someplace. Main sequence star, moving off the main sequence here, eventually to a red giant, white dwarf, and the white dwarf stays for a long time. The idea of this is just to give you a schematic of the time. Look how long the main sequence phase is compared to the formation phase, compared to the end of the star's life phase. It's a lot longer. It spends a vast majority of its time on the main sequence. Yes, there's also going to be a lot of time as a white dwarf as well. Because once you form a white dwarf, you're done. So, uh, main sequence star isn't permanent. Eventually that main sequence star is going to become a white dwarf or become something else. But the whole idea of just this is just to give you an idea of the time scales. Very short at the beginning. Takes a very short amount of time for it to form. End of its life is very short. Again, long for us, short for the star. The middle, the main sequence, the boring time when nothing's going on in the sun except it's nice, happily converting hydrogen into helium for 10 billion years. Nothing much is going on there. Same thing with the white dwarf. That's another boring phase. Nothing's going on there. All it's doing is cooling off. It's got no energy source. Nothing else is happening. Unless it's in a binary system. In which case some interesting things can happen with the white dwarf. Which we'll talk about later. Nothing much happens there. So these long phases are the nice boring ones that no, you know, don't really care about. The interesting things are what goes on at the end of its life. And the formation of the star. Now for a star like the sun. You're not going to get a high enough temperature for any fusion of carbon. You're not going to be able to get enough energy, you're going to get the temperature hot enough for carbon atoms to be able to fuse together. There'll be too much repulsion between six protons here and six protons here. You're not going to be able to have movement at high enough speeds to smash them together to form the next element up, to form the next thing you're going to form. You're, going to form. you're stuck. So there's nothing else that can form for the sun after in the star like the sun. Now more massive stars can do this. More massive stars will get hot enough, and we'll look at that in a minute. So, now there's no more fusion. We're running out of energy in the center. So, it starts to contract again. Inner layers contract, outer layers continue to expand. If you expand far enough, eventually you get to the point where the star gets so big that the outer layers end up escaping from the star. And that's what we see as a planetary nebula. So there's some examples here shown. You can see it depending on how you're seeing it and how those layers get pushed off. You tend to think of it as a nice smooth thing which looks like maybe one of these where the layers just slowly go off into space. But there must be some other interesting things that happen because there's some planetary nebula here that don't look so nice and smooth and round as those other ones. So that you have some areas where you know, maybe material was pulsed off the star in some other, or maybe it was spinning, maybe there was a binary system, maybe there's another star that was tugging on the material as it came off and helped it. So it helped the star along with losing its outer layers. So there can be some very basic simple ones. Probably our sun, if the case is that it has something to do with a binary system, our sun might end up looking like something like this in five, six billion years. To a distant astronomer, not to us right here of course, we'd be gone. 
Or if it was in another type of system, you might get some more interesting pattern like this. But either way, they're all what we call planetary nebulae. Now a planetary nebula has nothing to do with a planet. What it looks like, you might think it almost looks like a planetary system through a small telescope. It might have looked like a planetary system. And even in a smaller telescope, it would look like a little disk. It might be confused for a planet. So some of these very standard ones might have been confused. So sort of how it got its name, but they have nothing to do with planets. It's actually the outer layers of the star. So as that center contracted, remember, contracts, the outer layers expand. If you keep contracting that inner layer, the outer layers expand even more. Eventually they get to the point where gravity is the gravity of the star is not enough to hold on to them, and they escape out into space. They're gone. They've reached escape velocity of the star, and they're just going to expand out into space forever. They're never coming back down again. So we've got two parts of the star now. We've split our star into two. You have the extremely dense core, extremely hot, you know, hundred mil, hundreds of million, hundred million degrees, and you've got an outer envelope. The outer layers of the star have been pushed out. Most of the material is still there in the core. The sun still hasn't lost a lot of mass when it does this. Yes, it's lost some. It's lost its all its outer layers, but most of the most of the matter in the sun is still condensed condensed down in the core. So it will not lose all of its mass, won't even lose a big chunk of its mass. It'll lose a small portion of its mass. And again, I sort of mentioned this before, talked about what, why we call it a planetary nebula. It kind of looks like, you know, if you see the star at the center, it might look like a little bit of a planetary system. So it was more of a lack of understanding early on when these were first detected, early on when telescopes were, had been invented in terms of being able to understand what was really going on there. You know, is this really here? Are we seeing another planetary system around there? That might be what we're seeing. But we have two things. Again, we have a core. All that core is going to do, it's got no more energy source. We don't have enough temperature. We don't have enough energy in order to fuse that carbon together. It's stuck. It's just going to sit there at the center and it's going to cool off. Nothing else can happen to it. The envelope, it's reached escape velocity. It's escaping from the star. It's heading out into space. You know, there's not enough gravity to pull it back in and start anything all over again. It's just heading out into space and will form part of the next generation of stars. It'll enrich the, media, the interstellar medium, so it'll go back and add material to the interstellar medium, the gas clouds out there, and eventually will form a new star. So recycle the material, form, form another star. Okay, so what kind of happens there? Planetary nebula phase is very short and it kind of jumps. You go from the giant phase, you really don't see much of anything until it ends up down here because that all occurs very quickly. We sometimes we see the planetary nebula phase, but it really doesn't have a place on the HR diagram because you split the thing into two. So now what is your temperature? Is it the temperature of the outer layers? Is it the temperature of the core? You know, you're sort of lost track of things. You're looking at two different pieces of the puzzle there. So you really don't see it again. It doesn't really settle down until it becomes a white dwarf star. Extremely hot, extremely high temperatures. No energy source. All it is is has that energy from, its, from when it contracted and left over 100 million degrees. It's got a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of heat to lose, but that's all it is. And that's all it's going to do now is cool off. If it cools off, the temperature is going to get less, so it's going to move this way slowly. The luminosity is going to get less, so it's going to move this way. So it's not going to change its size. It's going to move diagonally. These are about lines of constant size on the HR diagram going diagonally. So it's going to stay the same size. It's not going to change. It's essentially a big solid ball now. 
and all it's going to do is cool off and get fainter and fainter and fainter and eventually reach the temperature of space, 3 degrees. But that's going to take, again, hundreds of billions, a trillion years for that to actually lose all that extremely high temperature it had. It's going to take it a long time to actually cool off to that stage. That's not something that's been able to happen in the universe yet. And it's tiny. Didn't do the size. How small is it? It's going to be about the size of the Earth. So that core has condensed down. Most of the material that was present, that's present in the Sun right now, will be condensed down to something about the size of the Earth. So extremely dense too. Now, it's still going to have the mass, you know, half, three quarters the mass of the Sun. You've lost a little bit of mass, but not a lot of it. Most of it's still there in that core. And it's now the size of the Earth. It's all compressed down as close as you can possibly get those atoms. Okay? Right now we have things, nothing's pushed very close together. There's lots of space in between atoms and things on the Earth. You can push them down, you can push material closer and closer together until essentially the electrons, the electron clouds start to touch. Then you get repulsion, right? You got negative charges and negative charges trying to push each other apart. Or, yeah, trying to push each other apart. And that's going to keep it from collapsing any further. That pr- provides some kind of force against gravity. So keeping it from fully collapsing. It's not going to collapse down to a black hole. That's the next stage we'll look at here. Next, when we look at the massive, more massive stars when we can get a black hole. But it's not going to do that. It's eventually going to reach some kind of pressure that of the electrons and the proton, everything pushing against each other is going to form an interior pressure. Not an energy source, but a pressure that keeps it from further collapse. All right, and then stage, oops. Here's an example of a white dwarf. So do they exist? They're very hard to find just because they are so faint. Sirius is one of the closest stars to Earth. It's the brightest star in the sky. Nicely visible in the morning right now. If you're up before sunrise, you can see it very easily out there. Um, If you know Orion, you look for Orion, look off to the lower left of Orion, you see a real bright star. That is Sirius. Now if you're looking to Orion and you're looking up above it right now, you're seeing Jupiter. Jupiter's up there. But Orion here in the middle, Orion, Jupiter's up here, up high. Sirius is the real bright star just down below it. The dog star, it's the dog following the hunter Orion through the sky. But Sirius is actually a binary star. There's actually two stars there. There's the bright one that we see. That's what you see when you look at the sky. You're not going to see Sirius B except through a telescope. But there's a very small white dwarf star that is orbiting around (coughs) this the larger, main, the larger main sequence star. So very small star, again, something the size of the Earth, but still bright. We can still see it. You know, Earth wouldn't be visible eight light years away. We wouldn't be able to see it. This is so bright, so hot, that we can still see it. Even though it's the size of the Earth, it's incredibly tiny. We can still see it even at a distance of eight light years. If we look in globular clusters, Right? We studied one of those. We did that about a week and a half ago. We looked at a globular cluster. You plotted all those in the HR diagram. Don't remind us. We hated that, right? Okay. When we look at those, when we look at the globular clusters, globular clusters, remember, they're the old clusters. So all the main sequence stars are gone. All the blue main sequence stars are gone. All the real hot ones are gone. They've all evolved. And the biggest star, the brightest stars in it were red. So you see a lot of bright red stars here. But you also see a lot of blue stars but very faint blue stars. Those are a lot of white dwarfs. 
So we can actually see stars that have become white dwarfs in the center of this cluster. And we're zooming in. You're looking at one little tiny area right here at the core. And you see that. Yes, you see some of these big red giants that are, haven't quite gotten to that stage yet. But you see a whole bunch of white dwarf stars scattered around the center of this globular cluster. Those are all stars like the sun or a little bit more massive than the sun that have gone through their lives and become white dwarf stars. So most of the bright stars, when we look at those, when you plot it on your HR diagram, you plotted something like this, and you saw a main sequence, and you saw some stars going up here. All the brightest stars were over here in the red giant phase. We didn't have you plot all of the white dwarf stars, which would be down here, but there's a lot of them out there. They're just, some of the, they're just much fainter. So you see those blue stars that are gone off the main sequence. There are some blue stars there, but they're all very small, very tiny white dwarf stars. And this is actually a Hubble Space Telescope image, so you can actually look through. Not looking through the Earth's atmosphere, you don't have to worry about all of that oscillation and the seeing in the Earth's atmosphere. You can see right down into the, into the core of that cluster much, much easier. As the white dwarf cools, it does, I mentioned before, it does not change in size. Its size is going to stay the same. So it's so big, all it's doing, it's a big solid ball right now. Instead of a gaseous ball like the sun is at this point, it's a big solid ball and all it's going to do is slowly cool off. It's going to get cooler and cooler and cooler and cooler and fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter, but nothing else will happen to it. Unless some, some very odd cases, but for the most part a star like the sun, once it becomes a white dwarf, it's done. Nothing else is going to happen to that star. It's just going to cool off. Eventually it'll cease glowing. Eventually it's glowing in the visible. It's very hot and blue right now. It'll cool off. You'll get to see it'll cool off through the colors. It'll cool off through the blues, into the yellows, into the oranges, into the reds, eventually into the infrared as it gets fainter and fainter. But again, we're talking hundreds of billions of years for this to actually happen. Unless something interesting happens to it. Say, for one like the sun, this won't happen. But one thing that can happen to a white dwarf star is that it can re-erupt. Not for one like the sun is going to become, but this is an example picture was taken. Here's the star before, and here's the nova, or new star. Called a new star because it, came, it became bright all of a sudden. It was some brightness here. All of a sudden it became 10,000 times brighter for a month for a very short period of time. This is something, this is what can happen to a white dwarf if it's in a binary star system. If there's two stars actually there. And did I, yeah, let me do the picture here, it'll show a little bit better. What might happen is if you have two stars there, if you're close enough, the white dwarf star Again, it's still as massive as a star. It still has a good amount of gravity. It can pull that material in. So it can actually collect material from a companion star. It could have a star, star orbiting around with it. They're rotating around each other. And their matter could be transferred from the main sequence star to the surface of the white dwarf. Now that white dwarf surface is extremely hot. If you start putting enough hydrogen on the surface, remember the outer layers of a star are always hydrogen. If you start putting a lot of hydrogen on the surface of the star that's already very hot, what's going to happen? It's 
heating up, you get enough hydrogen build up there, all of a sudden you're going to get a high enough temperature. If you hit 10 million degrees, boom, it, bur- it starts igniting. It starts burning hydrogen. Instead of deep down in the core, it burns it on the surface of the star. It's a minor explosion on the surface of the star. And will actually become a nova. It will become many, many times brighter than it was before, 10,000 times brighter than it was. And that's what we call a nova would be a new, sort of a new star that appeared in the sky. Now this is something that can repeat over and over again. It doesn't destroy the star. It's just adding material on the surface. All of a sudden you get enough hydrogen on that surface. It ignites. starts to burn. glows real brightly. You've got the nuclear reactions that are normally going down deep in the core of a star right on the surface. And emitting a lot of energy all of a sudden. So emitting a lot of energy and causing it to glow much, much brighter. But it can happen again and again. It doesn't have to only happen once. We haven't hurt the star. Just burned off these outer layers. Once it's done, it starts again. So this, there are actually stars that do this over and over again. They collect material from a companion star and over a period of time, you know, maybe every 50 years or 75 years or 100 years, they'll erupt as a nova. So some of them, not exactly predictable. Can't tell you it's going to happen, you know, every, like, some, like the planet's going around the sun where I can tell you it's going to come back in 76.3 years. Well, it might average 70 years, but sometimes it might be getting a little bit more material and it might happen quicker. Sometimes it might not be getting as much material. It might take it 20 or 30 years longer. It's not an exact determination. But there are ones, we have seen stars that have gone nova more than, more than once. And this is the type of system that occurs. It's, is a, it does involve a white dwarf star. It's one of the few things that a white dwarf star can actually do, but only if it has a companion. It has to have some way of getting a large amount of material collected on its surface. And that's the only way it can do it is if there's a main sequence star nearby. So here's an example of one. I've sort of gone through the explanation already, but here it is in text again for you. Um, you got the star. You got the material that's been thrown out around it. And in fact, you can see it expand. This is taken over three, three different times. And you look at it here, you can see the ring of material that was expelled out in this explosion. And years later and years later, you can see how it's expanding outward. It's forming a, looks like a little planetary nebula again. It's not near the amount of material that the original planetary nebula had. Much, much smaller, but it's the similar idea except that this was a little more explosive. The planetary nebula phase itself was very smooth. Everything just kind of got pushed off into space. This is actually a burning explosion on the surface of the star. But again, it's a matter of enough material. The only way you can get that amount of material is if you have a star nearby it. You can't have the white dwarf passing through. You're not going to get any dust clouds or anything big enough to get enough material except pulling it off of another star. It's the only way it's going to get enough hydrogen to be able to build up hydrogen on the surface, get that high enough temperature, and start burning that hydrogen and have runaway nuclear fusion going on. Again, instead of the core, you have it right on the surface of the star burning off all that new material that just came. Doesn't start burning of the star itself. The star itself, for a star like the sun, was carbon. So adding a little bit more hydrogen to it doesn't do anything. What it does is burns off that hydrogen on the surface. You still have that whole carbon core there to continue the process again. Let me see where I am. 
you know what, I'm going to stop with this one because then I go into stars that are more massive within the sun and I don't want to try to start that in the next minute or so. So I'm going to leave it right there. So that's, that's sort of the end of what a star like the, sun, like the sun will do. If you have not taken the iTunes quiz, you do have that option. Again, it's available through 6 o'clock tomorrow, so go in, at least take it once. You've got up to three tries on it if you want to try again. You've got three tries to take it before 6 o'clock tomorrow. If it's clear, I hope to see some of you tomorrow. If it's pouring down rain, don't bother. If it's in between, you know, to email me or something and I'll see if I know for sure what's going on at the time. I'll try to let you know as early as I, as early as I can. So otherwise, have a good rest of the day and I'll see you tomorrow or Wednesday.